Hello, listeners. Today, I have Nick D'Onofrio on the show. Nick is a second-generation American. Nick spent 44 years of his life at IBM as an electrical engineer and then as a technology leader. In 2008, he graduated from IBM and now holds board seats for dozens of companies. Nick is the co-author of the book, If Nothing Changes, Nothing Changes. The book is a powerful testimony to our ability as human beings to drive transformation, not just within tech, but across generations. With heart and candor, Nick explains how he led IBM's global technical team to embrace market-centric, focus-redefining innovation and sparking worldwide collaboration. Get the book on Amazon or learn more at nickdonofriobook.com. Well, Nick, now that people know a little bit more about you, tell me what this book is all about. Give me an overview about what this book is all about. People should self-document. That's what this book is all about. It's about me documenting my life before somebody else decides that they want to tell the story and they want to tell it their way. I want to tell it my way. It's terribly important to not forget where you come, where you came from, how you got there, what lessons you've learned. And that was driving me. It took me six years working with the Mark, Mike DeMarco to put this book together. We made it a little harder by bringing 37 other people into the book. It became obvious to me as I started the process that I needed to reconcile the inside IBM, the before IBM, and the outside IBM parts of my life. And at one time, no, I was thinking of writing two books. But I got frustrated, told Mike we were bringing them together, and gave him the principles of operation for the book. This is the way it's going to be. This is what we're going to do. So the, the book became a labor of love, Noah, just to be candid with you, for the whole purpose of trying to help people understand the characteristics that I saw and developed and nurtured are probably in you. And you need to pull them out. You need to make sure. And there, there are basic principles that are taught in this book. They're not, it's not terribly complicated. I doubt you're going to find anything new here. You're just going to find interestingly different stories about how those leadership I want to characteristics dive into and the traits book here, matter. Here shortly, but you know, I hear you saying, you know, writing your story. It makes me think about, you know, you. It makes me think about your story and what your, you know, your legacy will be. So, what do you hope for your legacy to be? You know, I wished it were so easy that you could determine your legacy. That's a that, that, that's what goes through my mind all the time right now. I think others are going to determine that legacy for you. In in the end, I think all you can leave behind is great results, great memories, great interactions, um, great opportunities to help people make a difference, and. To be totally candid with you, less concern about who gets the credit. I mean, I actually learned this lesson along the way, and, and I use the word a lot, enabler. I want to be known as an enabler. I, the person who enabled me to be as great as I am, to do all the wonderful things I did, not the person who did it, but the person who enabled so many others. So I, I guess in some sense that would be my legacy if I if I were so bold as to think I could control it. That's how I would want. So let's dig into the book a little bit. So at the beginning of the book, you talk about immigration stories of your grandparents and um, and your dad's childhood. 
in that, do you feel like, you know, you've achieved the quote unquote American dream? And it's hard to define what that, what that could be, but I'm curious what you'll say there. I, I think my father and mother would say they did achieve the American dream, being they made do with what they had. They crafted and forged a life from almost nothing, from poverty, and more importantly, raised four wonderful children who went on, each in their own way, to do incredibly wonderful things. In the end, that's all there really is when you think about the American dream. My father's family, my grandfather and my grandmother, the only grandmother I knew, his mother was actually, actually died a short, shortly after the last son was born. They spoke very little English. I had to learn some Italian in order to keep up with them, and, and they learned some English from me, and, and it was all maybe a special language or a special dialect that we talked among ourselves. Coming out of that almost primordial lose is incredible. And while nothing was perfect, you know, I'm not perfect, my parents weren't perfect, no one's perfect, they did live the American dream and got us into a position where we were able to use our free will to decide what made sense. And the opportunities were all there for us to decide what to do. Okay, and so you're talking about your parents, right? And, you know, parents have, you know, the ability to guide and influence you. What is, you know, something that you took from them that you still live by this day? What do you, what, what from them? Maybe, maybe one piece, maybe there's more than one, but one piece of wisdom, right? You still live by today. The title of the book, If Nothing Changes, Nothing Changes, actually comes from my father. An un- uneducated man. He never finished 10th grade in high school. Tough guy. That phrase, if nothing changes, nothing changes, was chiseled in my head the year between my junior year and senior year. And sometimes I get it a little confused. It could have been between my sophomore year and my junior year in high school. But it was in that time period on the front porch. And, and I said to him, what do you mean? And he said, I, I don't really enjoy my life. But I, I have the life I have, and I'm going to do the best I can with it to enable you and your brother and sisters to be better than I or your mother ever could have been. So if what you've been getting is not what you want, why do you keep doing what you've been doing, son? Because all you're going to get is what you've been getting. So change something. Now, he didn't know that everything was going to change, but he changed himself. I mean, he turned himself into a very proud father of four children, a provider. We had our own house. They owned their own house. They were so proud of the fact that they could own their own house. So that lesson about change and not accepting mediocrity and pushing yourself, if nothing changes, nothing changes, comes directly from my father and then from my mother, who was an incredibly brilliant woman. My mother graduated from high school in New York City at the age of 16. She spoke three languages. She could have gone on to college, but she had no chance to go on to college because she had no money. Her parents were dirt poor as well. But she always gave me the grounding of be nice, be smart, be good, 
you know, be thoughtful, but always be nice. Always remember the people who helped you get there, son. It mattered to her not just what you did, man. But I how love you both did it. of those pieces of wisdom from your dad. If nothing changes, nothing changes. And combined with the the quality of that from your your mom in the you know be kind and it matters how you do things combined together. Those are dynamite uh, pieces of wisdom. So let's, let's dive into IBM a little bit. Your time at IBM. Do you imagine that you'd be impacting technology so much? Did you imagine that modern technology would be impacted so much by your time at IBM, by IBM itself, and, and all of that? Tell me about that. It was really exciting way back then. You know, 1964 is my first experience with IBM. I'm at RPI. I'm a freshman. I compete for a co-op assignment. I get it. I'm in IBM uh, in 1964. 1964 is when they announced their mainframe, System 360. And lo and behold, my first co-op assignment, I'm working on stuff that may go into the System 360. Hadn't shipped yet. It ships in the following year. And like, I don't even, I barely understand what it does. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to grasp, you know, what, what, what all this is about, how powerful this thing is. So the technology I'm working on, though, is ferrite core memory planes. I don't even think you know what they are, but that's how things were actually stored inside little toroids, little donuts, little ferrite core toroids that had wires running through them, and you could polarize them. And the good thing was once you powered these things off, they actually remembered what the state was. So you know, I found that exciting, thrilling. I could actually understand it. I mean, I had a few courses. That summer, I had to go take my sophomore, first semester of my sophomore year, then go out on, a, on this co-op assignment. I was thrilled. It was like, wow. And you're trusting me with this? Oh, yeah, we want you to work on this, Nick. And I wrote this incredible technical report, which I thought was brilliant. I, the only regret I have is I can't find the darn report. It was one of these things where it was kind of like, hey, I'm learning these rules of thumb. I want to tell you all about them. So I wrote this technical report about how to design, you know, these, these ferret core memory planes. Next time, next time I go back, which is only six months later, because I go back to RPI from second semester, sophomore year, and then I'm in sync again, another system 360 assignment. This, this is more in the logic side of things, and I'm learning more about the system. I'm understanding it better. And then my last co-op assignment was also System 360. But I'm watching all this technology evolve. Ferry cores are disappearing, by the way. Interestingly enough, semiconductors are coming in. The transistor had replaced the vacuum tube. So I'm saying to myself, you know, I'm learning a lot here at RPI. I might actually know enough to make a difference. I wasn't the smartest student at RPI. I, I did okay. But it didn't matter to me because I was learning a lot of the basics. And my sense at that time, Noah, was everything was changing. Kind of that if nothing changes, nothing changes. It was all changing. And I'm saying to myself, you know what? This feels pretty good to me. When I got to IBM, because my mother made me go to IBM again, you know, I had choices when I graduated in 67. I, I wanted to go west. She wanted me to stay east. And she won again. Um, of course, I wanted to get married to my high school sweetheart that summer. So she made good logic out of it, like, you know, go west later, get married, settle down, went to work for IBM. And one of the first things I'm asked to do is to do all these sizings about new technologies. And we're going to replace this with that, Nick. What do you think about this? And you know, I'm, I'm like, whoa, 
this this is just what I kind of thought was going to happen. And in those days, Noah, even as tough as it was to get engineering talent, because I mean everybody wanted engineers. I mean, if you walk, talk, and chew gum, you could be a, you could get a job. I mean, that's all it basically talked. That that's what it basically re- required. Everybody got a job when I graduated from RPI. It was just incredible how hot the job market was. Nobody actually knows all this stuff. It's all kind of unfolding in front of us. And I was in I was in the middle of these sizings, and it turns out the sizings that I was doing, the studies I was on, I actually got to implement. So IBM says, yeah, we're picking that one. It wasn't mine. I was just a low-life junior engineer who had to qualify, and that's what you had to do at IBM. I got myself qualified. You know, I got onto this program. And before you know it, Noah, I'm designing chips for these. You know, we're going to replace a lot of the stuff in System 360 with these chips. Me. I said, really? Me? You're trusting me? You sure you know what you're doing? Because I barely know what I'm doing. But apparently I knew enough, Noah. (laughs) You know, and that that's how it began. True, true, true enough. Right. We replaced those ferrite cores, interestingly enough, those memories with semiconductor memories. And guess what? I was fortunate enough to have designed like two of the three chips that mattered in that whole new memory subsystem. I designed the memory chip itself and I designed its sense amplifier. This is incredible. And I could see where it was going, right? I, I could honestly know, see that this thing was just at its beginning and we're going to ratchet our way up and it's going to be incredible. And I got to experience two different kinds of tech, semiconductor technologies, what's called bipolar and, and uh, FET. And I, my bias was FET. My, my sense was, you know what? This technology is going to go a long distance. And sure enough, later in life, as, as you know from the book, it turns out I was right. I mean, it turns out that uh, semiconductors you know, shifted to FETs, mostly CMOS FETs specifically. And in our case, it saved, it saved my job twice at IBM. And I'd like to believe in some sense uh, did a little bit to save IBM. And I keep saying to myself, and I kept saying to Mike DeMarco, you know, you can't make this stuff up, Mike. I mean, am I making more of this than I should? You know, what's really happening here? And he just kept looking at me and saying, well, it makes sense to me, Nick. Uh, I can't answer that question, whether there's some other force working here. But as you read the book, you kind of get that Back to the book, then. So some of that in the book. Throughout the book, you talk about business teams, right? And this is something I I really get excited about, forming teams, right? And, And not only just, you know, putting people together, but skills and and you know focuses that complement each other give me some examples of the best types of you know pairings there with complementary skills from your your experience and from you know what you highlight throughout the book i think the best place to start noah is the very first time i become a manager you know i take a group out of the mid hudson valley of new york we move up to uh, vermont essex junction vermont burlington we call it often and I learned this lesson the hard way. This is incredible how blessed I was. I'm managing the group. I'm smarter than them all. I know everything they're doing because I did everything they're doing, right? It's one of those kind of situations. And then we get this equalizer called the opinion survey. This was a really big deal in IBM way back then. And that, that opinion survey was well known that the worst of each location was going to be submitted along with the best. And then the organizations would pick and the chairman, the CEO, Mr. Watson, wanted to see the best and the worst of each of the groups. My opinion survey comes back 
and it's terrible. I mean, one is the worst number you could get. I think I got a 1.1. And if it weren't for some poor person in Endicott, New York, I would have been the one submitted to go forward from our group because they got a 1.0. What did I learn from that opinion survey was, and I went into this meeting with my team and I said, look, it's clear to me, I I haven't been your manager. I I have been you. I've been doing your job. I've told you what to do, how to do it, you know, why it was right, why it was wrong. I said, if IBM allows me to stay, I promise you, I will become your best advocate. I will become your enabler. I will enable you to do your job as well as you could have ever imagined it could have been done. And I I took that to heart. It was all about teams. It was all about collaboration. It was all about enabling, enabling them to be their best. That's the underpinning of my management philosophy. And it has less to do with who gets the credit. It's got less to do with you. There's more to do with them. Because the real greatness that's going to come from that team, your department, your group, your colleagues, is going to be not where you think it is. It's going to come from something you haven't even considered before. That's how real innovation happens. When people are enabled to collaborate openly in a multidisciplined fashion, all focused on the same problem. They all understand the problem well. They're all engineers. They want to solve that problem. And it's a meaningful problem. That's how real value is created in an innovative environment. I learned that lesson painfully. Like a lot of things my father taught me, I learned it well. And that's the message, along with change, that I have taken through my entire IBM career from that day forward and to wherever else I've moving Moving forward then. So... In the book, you've got a lot of interviews you've done, right? You've brought a lot of people in this book, not just you and Michael. You, you've brought in a ton. Who were you most excited about chatting with in the book? What, what was your most exciting interview you brought into it? There's so many of them, but I, I have to go back to the beginning. My early managers at IBM are there, Dick Gladue, uh, Dick Linton, he was a young man then, Luis Arzubi, who uh, worked with me and worked for me, capturing those thoughts. And sadly, Dick Ledoux has passed away since then. They, were, they meant a great deal to me. They were the anchors for the book. Once I got those done, I, I felt like, okay, we can, we can make this book happen. Sam Pomizano, Tom Rennie, so many wonderful people, Lisa Sue from, from AMD. Mark Papermaster, uh, Bernard Chalez from Dassault Systems, Larry Kittleberger, what a hoot he is. He was a hard-driving client uh, for us, especially in some of our tougher days. Jack Kroll, when I went to uh, Delphi Automotive, and then we pivoted that company to Aptive. I think they're all precious. Rick Miller, they're, they're all precious to me. And I, I knew time was working against me, Noah, to be honest with you, which also once I figured out the book and the outline and how we were going to bring all these people in, just possessed me to just drive myself and Mike even harder, you know, to get it done. Capturing that base meant a great deal to me. My mom had already passed. My father, of course, had passed. I deliberately kept my children and my wife out of the book. 
Um, I mean, I, I talk about them in the book, but I, I, I this I didn't want there. Nick, I, I first off, I'm just super enjoying this conversation and your and your demeanor. Like I can tell you're a very humble man, even though you've had so much success and you've had you've done some really, really great things. What advice would you give somebody who wants to achieve similar success in their, you know, in their career while remaining humble and and you know operating with humility? Uh you're very kind, Noah. And it's a pleasure getting to know you in this interview. I, I think the underpinning thought process here, in addition to being an enabler and thinking about innovation the way I framed it for you, is you as a leader have got to have the courage of your convictions. You have got to find the future. You've got to find the way out of whatever the problem is. You're, and you have to start with the problem, of course, not with the answer. But you have to have the courage of your conviction to do something about it. And I've learned that lesson. And in, in the book tells lots of stories. And every time you, we tell a story, it's the same thesis. Whether it was at IBM or all the challenges and problems that IBM gave me to solve, or whether it was at AMD, or whether it was at the Bank of New York, or whether it was at Delphi, now Aptiv. It's the same story over and over again, though. You have to have the courage of your conviction. Everything's changing. You are naive to think nothing is going to change. How you position yourself for change, what do you do with it? Are you a change agent? Are you a change hater? You know, do you run to it or do you run from it? You have to understand yourself, but you have to equally understand that whether you like it or not, Everything is changing. I think it's up to each of us to make those changes come out for the good of all of us. And that is my underpinning thesis. I'm not the smartest person in the world. I've said that before. I understand a lot. You know, grow yourself in multiple dimensions. Don't stop learning. Become a T-shaped person, not an I-shaped person. Broaden yourself as deep as you are, but broaden yourself and be smart enough to know that value is migrating, Noah and you don't control it. Just think about that. That works for whatever the angle is you're looking at, whether it's a business angle, an education angle, a government angle, a political angle. Value is migrating. You don't control it, and you better understand. Okay, so this will be interesting to ask, and I think, you know, I myself have personally experienced this when I've when I've looked back and shared stories and taught other people from my experiences. So in doing that in the book, what did you learn about yourself, or what, what did you maybe learn about yourself? Yes, also, but also, you know, like remind yourself of uh, about yourself as well. Tell me a little bit more about that. I think the the biggest reflection is how I did what I did, kind of back to my mother's thinking. You know, I moved a lot when I was with IBM. There was a period of time when our children had no idea what their address was or what their phone number was because we were moving in rapid succession. I think in one, two, two and a half year period, we moved three times uh, before we settled back up in Vermont. And I often reflected on that. How, how were those decisions made? And was I practicing as good a set of decision-making processes with my family as I was at work? And I, I concluded, no. I didn't really give my family the options to do what I said they could have done. 
you know, I thought we were moving together. I thought we were all in it together. But, you know, as you go back and you look over it, you're, you're saying, gosh, you know, I really didn't give them the opportunity to express themselves. I mean, as it got, as the kids got older, they made it clear to me, hey, dad, I'm going to high school here. I don't care where you go after this. I'm not leaving. Just find me a family to stay with, will you? That was my son in Vermont. And we lived true to that. We stayed in Vermont um, through his senior year when, when he graduated. And my daughter, when we moved to Connecticut, says the same thing. You did this for Michael. You're going to do the same thing for me, dad. I'm not leaving here, right? I'm going to start high school here. I'm going to finish high school here. You know, I always had work to go to, Noah. They had nothing to go to. You know, they, their, their, their environments were foreign to them. Uh, my wife had to reestablish, of course, everything all over again. I traveled a lot. Most of the time it was without me. We, we have two wonderful kids, by the way. Our son's a lawyer. Our daughter is a, a professor at the University of Delaware. Dr. D'Onofrio is a life scientist. So it worked out, but the hauntingness is how you did it. Um, we lucked out. And if I had it to do all over again, I'd well, probably talk a lot about your past way. work at IBM. I'm under the impression you're still very engaged in business and technology. For others that you know, have retired from their first career, you know, who are, who are wanting to stay as busy as you are. What, what advice do you give them? Right. I, I hear the advice for the, for the other folks. Is it the sim, is it similar advice or is it different for those who have retired from their first career? So the first thing you have to do is you have to stop using the word retired. <laughs> you have to say graduated. That's it. That's probably a, a good indicator. So if that's your attitude, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm graduated. You know, I, I'm not retired. Then you go to work. Then you then you start to build a social network. You start to figure out what's really your what's real. What are you really interested in? You have to decide. And I had to do this. I had to decide early on. Did I want to go back to work full time somewhere else other than IBM, or how did I want to make my life? And I, I was thrown two big opportunities, way different than any one. One was in education. One was in government. I vetted them and I turned them both down. And the family got very upset with me on the second one, the government one. But I said to them, no, I think I know better here. Maybe I guided them better, although they'll to this day tell me I was foolish for turning down the opportunity. But then everything blossomed. Everything took off. You know, it's board after board after board. It's engagement after engagement after engagement. I was on, as you know, I was on the Bank of New York, then the Bank of New York Mellon board. I was on Delphi Automotive, then Aptiv's board, uh, Liberty Mutual's board, AMD's board, RPI's board, Syracuse's board. I mean, I'm still on 10 boards and I'm 77 years old. What do you want to do? How do you want to engage? How do you want to enable people to know you? They need good leadership skills. You know, no matter what, I happen to be a technologist in some sense. So people like that right now. But look, I mean, I have other, no other distinguishing features. I mean, other than my history, people want you because of what you can do to enable them. They, they want your skill. They want your help. And by the way, I spend a lot of my time enabling people of color and women in technology to do the same thing, to engage. Too often people want to tell me about their MBA, and I'm not against MBAs, by the way. But, you know, I look at their history and I say, wait a minute, you went to Cornell, you got an engineering degree, you went to Dartmouth, you got an engineering degree, you know, fill in the blank. And I say, oh yeah, that's true. 
And I said, well, you know, that may be more important to everybody than the fact that you have an MBA. I'm not against your MBA, but the, the world is a technology-driven world. It's changing because of technology. So stay in the game. Stay in the game. Take the opportunities where they come, when they come. Use them to your advantage. You know, add the value you can. Your reputation becomes known. Everybody says, hey, what about what about this person? I'll be doing a few more things that might even get some notoriety before I check out, right? Keep your mind alert. Stay focused on the on the on what the problems are. Could it be better? How could it be better? It is changing. What changes should be made? Remember, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And that goes for you too as an individual. Don't don't stagnate. Don't let yourself grow stale. I'm a, I'm a physical scientist, Noah. You know, so I know stuff on the electrical engineering side, mechanical side. My daughter's a life scientist. I've learned a lot about life sciences. Life science is the science of the 21st century. It's enabled by physical science. I'm on the board of the New York Genome Center, for goodness sakes. Why do they need me? You know, I'm not a genomicist. I'm not a biologist. But hey, they're, they're smart people. They know it's enabled by technology. You know, and they know they need smart tech. Well, I, don't, I shouldn't say smart. I'm not. I'm not going to put myself in that category. But they know they need technologists or people who have access to technology. So you bootstrap those thoughts. You know, you 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 kind of build that network out. You let it be known, and when you engage, you engage thoroughly as an enabler, and you create value. And everybody says, "Wow, look at that." You know, we want him. Okay. Or her well, well, last question, team. Nick. So people have got the book. They've read it. They're excited about it. They loved it. They love the stories. They, they feel, you know, jazzed to, to run off and apply what you've said. What is the one thing you hope that they take away from the book and go apply to their, to their life, their professional life, personal life, all of the above? What is the one thing you hope that they take away? It's going to be hard to say the one thing, but you are the enabler. That's how real differences are made. It's not just by what you do. It's by who you enable to be their best, to do their best, and to always feel welcomed in that organization. If you could do those things, wonderful things follow. Great prosperity, success, happiness, joy and hopefully all the time to enjoy all of that follows you be the enabler you want everyone to feel enabled to be welcome fantastic to Nick, thank you for being on the show today thank you for sharing all the things around your career the book again the book is titled if nothing changes nothing changes which is a brilliant title you and michael's work and interviewing many many folks so thank you for being on the show and uh, and sharing your stories with us Noah, thank you very much for having me and for you too. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Be safe and be well, my friend. There you have it, folks. An incredible conversation with Nick D'Onofrio about his time at IBM and after and how if nothing changes, nothing changes. My takeaway is as simply as he put it, be the enabler. As mentioned before, if you want to purchase the book, go to Amazon or learn more at nickdonofrio.com. And thanks for listening.